Hello and welcome to the Fit to Transform podcast, where you learn how to train and diet effectively and, most importantly, how to maintain those results for life, once and for all. I'm Nikias Tomasiello, a transgender training and nutrition coach working online with anyone who's ready for a true lifestyle transformation anywhere they may be in the world. As a friendly reminder, any and all information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult with your doctor before implementing any changes to your diet and exercise program. With that disclaimer out of the way, thank you for being here. Now grab yourself a cup of tea or pre-workouts and enjoy. Yo, dear listeners, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have a very special guest. She's called Astrid Nar... Uh, I am going to really mess up your uh, your last name. I was going to ask you before we recorded. How did you say your last name? Naranjo. Okay. Naranjo. Astrid Naranjo. Is that somewhat right? Yep. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. And we are going to talk all about nutrition today. But before we get started, Astrid... Please tell the audience, who are you? What do you do? And why are you so awesome at it? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. So I am from, originally I, I am, I was born in South America and I have been in Australia for about 11 years now. So my background is mostly, but pretty much nutrition in dietetics. I studied my bachelor's degree. Uh, for about five years and then I moved to Australia and did my bachelor's and my master's degree here so I've been studying nutrition for a while (laughs) you could say that adding the entire courses and the nutrition and the master's degree it's probably about eight and eight and a half years probably just on the courses Mm. and just add on top of that, add anything else that you could think of, courses, professional development. I am studying every day pretty much because nutrition is an ongoing um, field that is always evolving. You're always learning about new studies, new things that are coming out. So you want to always stay up to date and be a better professional, especially if I could look back from where I am now, so many things have changed and so many theories and even research has evolved in conclusions uh, around specific topics. So if I would would have stayed in the past, I would be very, very far from what we do recommend now in terms of different nutrition recommendations around specific topics that we can get into it later on if you want to but for the most part that's what I've been doing for for a while but before I even studied nutrition I was a personal trainer since I was 13 years old and I started doing like group coaching classes or like fitness group classes and teaching Everything that you can imagine, I I taught it before. Yoga, Pilates, fitness, fit combat, aerobics, steps, like everything that you can imagine, I was able to 
have a group class and I was able to, to direct my clients and my, my, my students. So that was pretty exciting. I used to love all of that. And if I could have the same groups that I had before in the past in Australia, at this, this level of advance that I was doing choreographies and making things, it was so fun just to do a class because your all your audience and all the students were so excited about seeing you and doing the classes. That was something that truly made me super passionate about fitness. And then obviously after a while doing those classes, I got more into resistance training and personal training as such in the weight room. So I started got, getting more into the weights and functional training and doing more that aspect, which pretty much led me to be passionate about nutrition in combination with the fitness. And I realized that these two things are pretty much family, sisters. You have to have one and the other ones if you want to get amazing results and combine them in an adequate way. Now, that was all well and good, but I think there was something else that I think in the past six years, I've realized that there was like a missing piece in everything that we are doing. Like amazing being experiencing nutrition and doing a lot of fitness and exercise. But where about mindset? There is that big, big puzzle and piece of that trifecta that was missing. And I understood that that piece is kind of like the perfect, like the, the perfect uh, missing piece that when you put it together like a trifecta or triangle, it sort of gives you the, the best approach when it comes to anything that you want to do sustainable for long term. So when I kind of everything clicked and like, oh, nutrition, training, mindset, we need these three things. If we want to actually teach our clients to make sustainable changes that are going to be long lasting, whether it's fat loss, whether it's maintenance, whether it's reverse dieting, whether it's whatever, goal our clients are looking to achieve it's not just about following a perfect training plan or doing a calorie deficit it's about dealing with bad days dealing with your identity dealing with how do you reflect on a day-to-day basis and how do you stand up when you fail those things are so so important because as i said if you have Everything perfectly laid out when it comes to training and nutrition, but there was a bad day and you didn't know how to deal with it. You basically, with your all or nothing mindset, you can destroy everything you did and go backwards and be in an even worse position than when you started. So those three things are big for me. I think I went way, way out of what you asked me from the very beginning. <laughs> so I apologize. But um, I think it's kind of where I am at right now. 
I am a dietitian and nutrition coach at the moment with Team BioLane. I work with Lake Norton. And I've been with working with them for about three years. And I also work in a private hospital as a dietitian, clinical dietitian and mental health dietitian as well. So I do that part-time on the other, mostly full-time is the coaching that I do online. And I do a lot of social media as well. So a little bit of everything, but that's me. Thanks for the introduction. Essentially, in uh, very few words, you've done everything that one could do in fitness. And uh, right now you're extremely busy in both a clinical setting and in a more uh, gen pop private setting with a team by your lane. And I, well, when you can't, when you talk about mindset, you're preaching to the choir. Um, I talk about mindset in pretty much every episode. And that's one reason why I really admire the work that you do and the content that you share as well, in my opinion, um, has a very stress relieving effect when you read it because when it comes to mindset a lot of people constantly worried about doing the right thing and um, is this better than this other thing do i need to worry about how much protein i eat or how i distribute it across the day about eating it right after a workout or when is the best time and when you make content you're always clear in expressing don't worry about these aspects worry about these aspects. These are the big rocks that we need to cover. Which brings me to the first topic that I wanted to cover with you today, and possibly even the only one, because I really want to do it justice, and that is actually protein. There's this um, paper that recently came out, which you actually are going have already, I believe, um, written a review of for Weightology, and that's mm -hmm. the the, the title of the paper is the anabolic response to protein ingestion during recovery from exercise has no upper limit in magnitude and duration in vivo in humans by Tromelin and colleagues. This will be in the notes because it is open access. So dear listeners, if you want to read it, knock yourself out. And I think this paper is really exciting to me because there is so much that one can talk about in relation to it and in relation to the broader literature. And one of the first topics that I wanted to ask you about was the idea of the muscle saturation effect or the claim that you can only absorb a certain amount of protein in a single meal. So I think, first of all, could you explain where this claim comes from? Yeah, so I think the the biggest problem with this issue is that a, a lot of people have spoken about the amount of muscle that you can synthesize mm -hmm. per meal when you consume a meal that has X amount of protein. Yeah. So several of studies have sort of measured different amounts of protein and how they mTOR pathways and the synthesis, the, the MPS, so the muscle protein synthesis, is based on the amount of protein that has been consumed. Sometimes uh, a big range of studies use whey protein or any sort of like similar rapid or easy absorption milk protein derivative. And basically what they the, the studies have 
concluded is that for the sake of building muscle, there is a maximum rate that your body will utilize mm-hmm. to synthesize more muscle. Mm-hmm. Now, that range could be up to 35, 40 grams, or I think on 0.25 to 0.4 grams per kilogram body weight per meal. Mm-hmm. So that means that if you had over that amount, let's say you had 60 grams of protein, 75, 95 meals, 95 grams of protein, because you either had a bigger meal or had one meal a day, or those that do intermittent fasting or OMAD or those kind of things, they would just have the amount of protein that we'll get for one meal. So they thought, okay, then I'm screwed because then if I can only absorb 45 grams of protein, why am I bothering to eat 150 grams of protein in this situation? Mm -hmm. Or in other words, if you were to just consume 150 grams of protein, but one of your meals was over 65 grams of protein, you would think that all the extra protein after 45 grams was wasted. Mm-hmm. And the, re- the research is just being misguided and misinterpreted by a lot of people thinking that you can only absorb then that amount and whatever else you eat is completely waste. Mm-hmm. Now, the truth of this is that your gut is able to absorb any amount of protein you consume. Even if you had even more than 100 grams of protein per seat, you will absorb every single gram of protein you consume. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens with that 100 grams is that a portion of it, let's say up to 45 grams of protein, will be used specifically for MPS. Mm. But that doesn't mean like the 60% of it remaining is wasted. It's actually being used by the body in many other functions that your body will require protein, amino acids to build up other things like hormones, like the different cells we have in in our body, different neurotransmitters that we have in our body, different chemical reactions rely on amino acids, individual amino acids, creating specific cells that are in our body, their primary structure or skeleton is made up from amino acids. So what your body does is utilizing those extra amino acids to comply and to build new things. Mm-hmm. That is either building or replacing. It's like your body is in ongoing maintenance. And there are things that they just need repair or they just need a bit of a turnover. So that's what happens when you get additional extra protein in a day. It's not wasted, but if you are really concerned about building muscle, and that you want to optimize as much as possible your gains, then you obviously want to make sure you distribute throughout the day a bit more evenly the amount of protein you consume and being, a ma- being aware that 
the biggest rock is that you want to make sure you consume your total protein requirements by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a bit more detailed and make it a bit more specific and maybe optimize it a little bit further, then evenly distributing your protein throughout the day will make potentially a little bit of a better advantage in order to optimize that muscle protein synthesis. Does that make sense at all? Or did I miss something that you wanted to hear? No, no, that's exactly what I was uh, asking about. So in short, as you say, the most important thing is to hit your daily protein target. If you've done that, you're already well on your way to building muscle. And if you want to take things a little bit further, you're really like you really want to make sure that most of that protein goes towards um, muscle building, then you want to spread out that protein across the day somewhat evenly. How many meals would you recommend and roughly of how much protein per meal? Well, if you think about it, it's going to really depend on the person's protein requirements. Mm-hmm. It's not the same referring to someone who is 100 pounds versus someone who is 150 pounds or someone who is 250 pounds. Mm-hmm. They will have, obviously, more specific, their specific protein requirements. And there's the body size and their needs are going to be different. Now, in terms of frequency, I'd say you want to just try to have optimally three meals a day. And whatever else you decide to have in between, especially if you have a larger protein requirement, let's say if you had 100 grams a day, maybe a petite uh, client or something like that, they wouldn't require more than 100 grams per day. So... Having someone with 100 grams per day, you easily can distribute that between three meals, maybe one snack, or Mm -hmm. three meals and two smaller snacks. But someone who is like a bodybuilder or someone who is already eating about 200 grams, 250 grams of protein on a daily basis, then having 45 grams of protein per meal is not going to cut it especially Mm. if they have only three meals a day or four or five meals a day, you will have to at least eat 55 to 60 grams per meal for five meals to actually get to your 250 grams per day. So that it it, it kind of is telling you, like you will have to at some point eat way over that recommended amount of 45 grams of protein. That's your cap. That's beyond Mm -hmm. that you won't have anything and that will obviously depend as well on the grams per kilogram of body weight so if you if you weight about 150 kilos or around that you need to sort of think okay what how much is my protein requirement and per meal i am sort of like aiming for 0.5 grams per kilogram of body weight so it kind of becomes a little bit more specific for that person yeah, that makes a lot of sense because protein, the protein requirements are relative to the uh, body weight or lean body mass of the individual. So, of course, the recommendations would vary depending on that individual's actual size. Now, what's interesting about this study is that, as you said, as you said, it shows that your body is going to utilize 
a much greater amount of protein per meal than uh, than 30 to 40 grams. So you don't need to worry about not going above 30 to 40 grams. In fact, you just may given the example that if somebody is a really large bodybuilder, probably 30 grams isn't going to cut it in a single meal. Also, what this uh, what they looked into in this study was how long the muscle protein synthetic response lasts for after you've eaten a meal. So could you uh, perhaps explain what it is that they did exactly and what they found? Because my understanding is that, that well, at least what I usually hear when people talk about it is that they um, would suggest, OK, you need to eat 30 to 40 grams of protein, for example, and you need to eat it every three to four hours necessarily. So what does this study add to this um, view? Yeah, sure. So I'm going to pull out my summary because there's so many details of the study. But when yeah. we look at what, what was done, um, like if I just go through what was done, um, we had 36 recreationally active men. Uh, the group, they were divided in three groups. Mm-hmm. One was given 25 grams of protein. Another one was given 100 grams of protein. And another one was given placebo. So they didn't have any protein. Yeah. So it pretty much lasted one day. They measured pre and post exercise and how the synthetic rate would be pre and post. Yeah. They provide they were provided with a, a few exercises they needed to perform. So leg press, leg extension, chest press, and lat pull down. And they had a few additional exercise protocols they would do five minutes cycling to warm up and then do four sets of 10 repetitions for each of the exercises I mentioned. And then the first of each exercise was performed at 65% of the subjects one uh, one RM for 10 Mm -hmm. reps. And then the second set to the fourth set, they try to perform this at 80% of their one RM. And pretty much until they were pretty pretty fatigued and they couldn't perform additional reps and then they had two minutes interval rest in between sets so what they measure was obviously anything related to blood uh to blood and muscles tissue samples Mm. so the results so if i give you a bit of a uh, run through what i have written for my results we found that the study was that the muscle protein synthesis was 30% greater over the period of 12 hours for the group that consumed 100 grams of protein dose compared to those that had 25 grams dose. Mm -hmm. Specifically, after the first four hours, muscle protein synthesis was only about 20% greater in the 100 grams dose compared to the 25 gram dose. So we can see that from the very first four hours, the MPS was much higher in the group that consumed much more protein than the one who consumed lower protein. Mm-hmm. And then this pretty much this result of 100 grams being uh, having that extra greater effect over the 25 gram doses pretty much stayed very consistent for a long time. And by the end of the eight hours, the entire MPS rate was about Mm -hmm. 40% greater 
for the 100 grams versus the 25 grams of protein. So this mm-hmm. shows that a large amount of protein will always elevate muscle protein synthesis for a prolonged time. Mm-hmm. So it's not just for the first four hours, it's actually a bit longer than that. That makes a lot of sense. So then I am going to play devil's advocate here because we've just said, hey, if you want to first prioritize your total protein intake for the day, and then to take things a bit further, distribute that protein evenly across a number of meals, depending on your actual requirements. Now, in this study, they showed that the anabolic response to 100 grams of protein uh, was basically went went on for uh, for many hours, 12 hours and even more. So then that makes me wonder, okay, so then why is it still, in your opinion, important to distribute protein evenly? Could I not just get the same results if I got all of my protein in a single meal, if the, the anabolic response is going to last for almost a day? Yeah, it, 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 it kind of makes sense what you're saying. But I would think that, first of all, one thing that humans can do versus what maybe plants can do is Mm -hmm. have a reservoir for things like carbohydrates, fats, and protein. Mm -hmm. We don't have the capacity to store protein for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Yes, they have a potential effect of even up to 12 hours of greater MPS, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that is as effective as it could be if you were providing a smaller doses of protein, better distributed throughout the day, allowing your body to utilize the maximum amount to MPS. Because yes, you may have given 100 grams for that particular group, but Maybe for that group, because one, they weren't athletes. Mm-hmm. They were just recreational uh, just participants. So they were probably meeting their requirements anyways, just very close to the 100 grams in one seat because that's, that's what was given. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the most practical thing they would do. This is just, as always, something that we try to put into in labs and experiments this is going to be a little bit more extreme. Same when we when we are doing studies and looking at studies for uh, aspartame and like artificial sweeteners, they will use extreme scenarios to prove a point or mm-hmm. to prove or try to see what is the effect on the insulin response or these specific um, hunger hormones if you consume aspartame at these doses but when it, when we re- try to replicate that in reality and practicality this is not how it works and it is more unlikely that someone will consume just 100 grams of protein and that will be just sufficient to optimize muscle protein synthesis especially if we're thinking about the group of the population that worries about this, which is athletes and people who train, people who lift, and they are aiming for about 2.2 to um, 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. 
which is in the average is going to be about 150 grams to 200 grams of protein on a daily basis. So, mm-hmm. yes, you could absolutely consume 100 grams of protein. But for the majority of people, this is not necessarily going to be practical. Not everyone is going to be consuming in one meal 100 grams of protein unless they were just drinking whey protein throughout the day and that was the only thing they would have. Mm-hmm. So there, the, this study is great, but it also has its limitations. So they just did this mm-hmm. study for one day. They yep. were recreational active subjects, so they weren't necessarily athletes or people who would be like you and I, that they show up to daily to training and they have a specific goals and they have set some programs that follow. Um, also, like they used only one type of protein, which was yeah. the milk protein, which contains 80% a slow digesting casein and 20% mm-hmm. whey, which may have contributed as well to the prolonged elevation of MPS. So if we think about this as well, then obviously, if you consume this specific type of protein, it's likely to last a little bit longer. That's why it is recommended, especially for those who truly are concerned about risking muscle muscle losses if they're in a calorie deficit, to consume Mm -hmm. some type of whey protein or combined with casein before bed because they will spend about eight hours on fasting without mm-hmm. eating but because this type of protein elevates your mps and that will be overnight they will this will reduce the likelihood of muscle catabolism overnight while you're fasting mm-hmm. so it makes sense and is probably applicable in one way or the other but uh is our all these athletes is everyone in reality just consuming whey protein or casein so that is not the reality so it would be interesting to see the same study replicated on actual foods so what if mm-hmm. i consumed 100 grams of protein but it where it came from fish or from actual meats or chicken Maybe the story would be similar. Maybe it would be different. We don't know, but that would be likely a potential area for research in the future. Um, And yeah, I think in terms of practical applications, obviously we know that this study showed that you can absorb more than 25 grams of protein for sure, and even up to 100 grams for sure per meal. Mm -hmm. And even if you want to consume even more, you likely will absorb all of that. This obviously high, highlights the importance of following the current recommendations of meeting your, ta- your total daily protein requirements, even if you only eat one large meal a day. Mm-hmm. However, as we were talking before, if you eat regularly throughout the day, this isn't to say that you must only eat fewer larger meals. You can eat much more meals more frequently, or you can decide to eat less meals and larger portions of protein. Mm -hmm. There are benefits to eating protein regularly for the reasons we kind of discussed before. And that is going to be because of the type of protein we're consuming, 
because these studies are need to be replicated. And because for the most part, protein has much more benefits than just protein, muscle protein synthesis. Protein has so many, so many functions and so many benefits from mood, from satiety, from helping stabilize your blood sugars for synthesizing hormones and neurotransmitters and enzymes. Like you need protein for way more than just muscle. So mm -hmm. that is one of the reasons why eating protein more regularly is important. And because of the caveats that you can't store protein. So if you couldn't consume your daily requirements of protein today, it's not worth it or it doesn't make sense for you to try to eat double tomorrow to compensate for what you didn't eat today. It's just like you miss your opportunity, just eat your normal requirements tomorrow and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. No, that's excellent. Thank you for answering my devil's advocate question. I really uh, appreciated that you covered the limitations of the study as well as the practical applications of the results because um, I really like that now science is becoming so much more accessible. But the downside to that is also that a lot of people don't know how to read a study. So the fact that you went through, hey, this study was made to prove a point. There was a really extreme protein intake, you know, of 100 grams. We're not saying that 100 grams is better than 25 grams or that a single meal is better than multiple meals across the day. This was just a to prove the point that we can indeed absorb more than the amount of protein that was previously suggested. And uh, so again, thank you very much for that. And also what you suggested is that we can be a lot more relaxed about num the number of meals that we eat per day. We don't have to lock ourselves into a prison where we must eat six meals per day, like old school bodybuilders, or, oh no, it's better to eat just one or two meals and then you're done. You can choose what's better for you and what makes more sense inter because of your protein requirements, as you were saying before. Now, speaking of meal timing, another um, claim that is often made is that, and it's still to this day quite popular, the idea that there's uh, an anabolic window, so a window of time after training. We've talked about the anabolic window after eating protein. There's also an anabolic window after training, whereby the muscle protein synthesis, synthesis rate is increased. And there's this idea that this is only um, short-lived. So if you don't get a protein bolus or a protein feeding, a portion of protein within a certain amount of time after training, then it's almost like you've wasted the opportunity to increase muscle protein synthesis. Could you explain if there, if there is any truth to that and if there is a benefit to protein timing relatively close to your workouts? It is a bit of a, it's, I think it is partly a myth because mm. obviously when you think about it, the idea of um, an anabolic window suggests that you only have a limited period of time to use that protein mm -hmm. to build muscle. Mm -hmm. And I think it is very correlated to what we spoke about before, that your body is only sensible to a certain amount of protein to make it as optimal as possible, mm -hmm. which is being debunked somehow. You do still have like a, 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 a 
like there are few things that are aligned and ready to be more optimal when you do exercise. And when you have pretty much used those muscle fibers and they are kind of like requiring repair straight away because there was a break, there was a tear of the fiber muscles. And having a quicker response because we don't have a storage for protein in being able to interfere with that process straight away and provide that protein for repair is going to be much more effective and more helpful in order to, for, for, for that to happen. Now, I think overall you can benefit from having your protein straight away. And the biggest question would be what's, what's the risk? Yeah. Or the other question would be, why not? Like, it wouldn't hurt to mm-hmm. just have it. Like, if it was something to, of true concern, like, okay, I, I am just very limited in the amount of calories because I'm in a contest prep, I only have this amount of calories, and I can just not, I just don't have the luxury to add extra calories to my diet. Then you kind of you can negotiate how or when you consume your protein, but if you're strict and very proficient about having a good plan on how do you distribute your your meals, if you train relatively close to your dinner or to your lunch, you can easily just use your main meals as your post workout meals. You mm-hmm. don't have to necessarily do it straight away, but within a, an hour or two, you still have that flexibility. But there are studies that still show that even after having a tough session of lifting or exercise, you could have even up to 24 hours where your body will still utilize mm-hmm. that protein within any of the time frame you have given the protein. Will be as effective as if you had it uh 30 minutes later probably not necessarily as efficient but there is still a response so i think that's what it would be um more interesting to talk about so when we think about the upper limit to just consuming more protein or the timing on when do you consume that protein it's not as rigid as we thought it was. Or if you don't consume it within the first 30 minutes, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's exactly what I was aiming at. So what I hear you say is that there is an a post-training anabolic window, but it's not only 30 minutes in duration. So if you're... Correct. R- if you have to drive home before you can eat a meal, and then when you get home, you prep, you prepare your meal, maybe within an hour or two from your workouts you're, you're eating, then you don't need to worry about having missed out on the anabolic window. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. My uh, next question is still pro- related to protein, and it's about leucine. So leucine in, uh, um, is a branched-chain amino acid, and it seems, my understanding is that it seems to be really important. So 
generally, we know that we want to get the nine essential amino acids in the right quantity when we're eating a serving of protein to maximize muscle protein synthesis. And one of these is leucine. And this seems to be particularly important to initiate the um, anabolic signaling that we need to start this uh, muscle protein synthesis response. So I, my question for you is, is this true? And if it is, do we need to worry not only about measuring the total protein that we eat in a day, but also we do we need to get so granular as to measure how much leucine we eat in a meal? Um, it, is a, it is a good question because I know that there is a good concern about at least consuming per meal a good amount of leucine, at least two to three grams per mm -hmm. meal which is often recommended to maximize the MPS. And obviously I think uh, would stand for like, if you can aim for a good quality protein source mm -hmm. that usually will have roughly the amount of leucine that you need. So mm -hmm. it is important to think about leucine as one of the biggest, like one of the amino acids that will have an important role in that anabolic signaling and improving that MPS. So how it how it does it is because it has the ability to activate that mTOR pathway that is going to be a key regulator for that MPS. So okay. when we think about it, this activation is important to signal the body to build muscle proteins overall. So when when you think about that protein threshold, we're, it's kind of suggesting that there is a minimum amount of leucine needed in order to maximally stimulate that MPS. Mm -hmm. So less than two, two grams of leucine, it seems like it is just a more weaker signal that may not necessarily optimize. It can, but it may not optimize to the maximum that MPS. Mm -hmm. So that's why it is recommended, especially for plant-based individuals or vegetarians, vegans, that they will need to eat even more protein overall in quantity, just to kind of get as closer as someone who would eat less of a protein source coming from an animal source. And that is just a little bit of a difference between animal protein sources that are rich in leucine naturally compared to proteins that are based animal, anim, not, aren't animal based, but more plant based that are going to be lacking in the total amount of leucine that will contain per meal. So hence you have to complement or look for which foods are higher in leucine versus the ones that are lower in leucine so you're not missing out of this amino acid if your goal is building muscle. Now, if you are not into building muscle, you don't have to worry about whether you're getting two or two to three grams of leucine every single meal every mm -hmm. day for the rest of your life. Like this is only the ones who really really focus on building muscle as optimal as possible. Otherwise, 
if you had two grams or 1.5 grams, that's fine. Does that make sense at all? It does. My question here would be, first off, um, you you answered it or in a way already, but I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. You first said mm-hmm. that a good quality protein source would be enough to provide um, a certain amount of leucine, enough leucine per meal. Now, you yeah. said also that animal protein naturally contains enough leucine. So when you're saying a good quality protein source, are you referring to all animal-based protein sources then? Not necessarily, because we know that there are certain plant-based proteins that are considered complete. So, Mm -hmm. you know, soy products, lentils are going to be quite rich in leucine. Mm -hmm. So any sort of soy products will be very considered that they are complete sources of protein. Mm-hmm. If we do get isolated chickpeas or potato protein or even corn protein, mm-hmm. uh, isolated, like you can, you actually isolate the protein from it and make it as a protein powder. Mm-hmm. It's been shown that they are super rich and super great quality protein containing leucine, mm-hmm. but they are way more harder to find and way more expensive to actually afford than a just plain whey protein. Mm. So it has its pros and cons, but naturally, without putting too much effort, if you just think about meat, fish, eggs, just on those three, you'll have good sources of high quality protein that will contain naturally two to three grams without putting too much effort into it. Now, if you're Mm -hmm. a vegetarian or a vegan, then lentils, tofu, seitan, those kind of things will contain a good quality protein as well. But I think it becomes a little bit trickier if you're vegan more than a a vegetarian or even those vegans or, or vegetarians that are a bit more flexible, so they are ovolacto vegetarians or pescatarians, they will have that extra benefit of accessing to fish or dairy in these situations and then makes it a little bit easier to reach this kind of threshold of two to three grams of leucine from high quality protein per meal. That makes sense. So basically, if you eat animal-based uh, sources and uh, vegetarian and vegan sources like soy, which are complete and contain are rich in leucine, you don't need to worry about it so much. But what I also heard you say is that it seems like the total amount of protein you eat in a day is still the most important thing. So if you are vegan and you're concerned about eating enough leucine, err on the side of eating more protein in a day and that is likely to more is more it's more likely to cover your basis for leucine as well. Would that be what you would you agree with that? Exactly. So let's say we are recommending a threshold between 1.6 and 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. Mm-hmm. I would recommend a vegetarian to to sort of try to aim for that 2.3, 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight to cover their basis and mm-hmm. make sure they are still getting the, the maximum amount of protein they can get. 
yeah, that's what I would do as well with my vegan and vegetarian clients. I tend to err closer to 2.2 than to 1.6 grams uh, per kilogram per day. Or if it depends, I try to the to be uh, give a more complete answer. I try to aim for the highest amount of protein within these recommendations that they can achieve. Because for some people, it is really complex to eat enough protein, and um, they also don't have super ambitious muscle building goals. And also, they are earlier in their fitness journey. They're more beginner type clients. So eating 2.2 grams per kilograms at that point in their journey might be premature. But over time, I aim to work them up to the highest amount they can eat, whether they're omnivorous or vegetarian or vegan, but especially if they are vegan. Basically, the more restrictive their dietary pattern is, the more protein I would want them to consume. Totally agree. Awesome. And um, I'm wondering about your thoughts on leucine supplementation, because you could also buy a leucine supplement. And if, if you were especially concerned, I'm wondering if you what you think about that approach. Um, look, it tastes horrible. It does. <laughs> it, it's disgusting. It is very difficult to just have leucine as supplement. I personally don't recommend it, but there are supplements made just to supplement for leucine if that is like a big concern mm -hmm. for us someone like an, a very specific athlete or just to support lower protein meals or but coming back to vegans or vegetarians that really have a hard time consuming good quality protein overall. Mm -hmm. So we know that the supplements will come with between two and five grams dosages per serving. And most times it's recommended to have them within your like around your workout times, post-workout meals and things like that. I do feel like you don't need it for the most part unless this there are these specific considerations to to think about um you gotta be very careful especially with talking about someone who is just supplementing with this amount of amino acids that there's no issues with their kidneys or pre-existing conditions or this particular clients assess that because this high level amino acid consumption can affect individuals with pre-existing uh, issues with kidney conditions. Um, and I will also think about the need for it. If you can optimize the diet first mm -hmm. and make it more efficient, more balanced, like actually go through a 24 hour or a week worth of meals and just see and suggest what other options you can add or supplement with that aren't necessarily just losing again mm -hmm. if you can Im Im implement a small changes that are increasing the opportunities to get higher quality protein why would you just consume losing su supplements like it's very expensive. It is very super bad taste, and it's it's just like it's like a 
I don't know, it's a bit redundant for, to me to use that when you can experiment with way better and more practical strategies that will let you to get a much better experience and less having to pay more for something that tastes amazing, that doesn't taste amazing, tastes really, really bad. Astrid, I'll make a confession. This was kind of another devil's advocate question because I wouldn't recommend a leucine supplement. I've never done it. I think that not only it may, may it be redundant, but also it might lead to somebody thinking, well, if I've got leucine, it's all that matters. So now I can get, to give an extreme, extreme example, all of my protein in a day from bread. And leucine isn't the only important amino acid. We still need all of the nine essential ones. And so it is much better to get them all from, uh, from food as well. And we also need it to an extent, the non-essential ones. Yes, we can make them up, but we can, uh, we can get them from food more easily. And uh, also, like you said, protein is useful for a lot of other things in addition to building muscle, just like we don't eat food just to get amino acids or carbohydrates or fats. So I believe that the uh, that the benefits that food that whole foods can have w outweigh by far the benefits that you can get from supplementation. So I would definitely uh, take a, a diet first approach where I would optimize the diet as much as possible. And then at that point, I don't believe you would need to loosen. Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> I would and agree on, with you. <laughs> and on that note of mutual agreement, Astrid, we're up on time. So I'd really love for you to tell everybody where they can find you. And if you have any exciting project coming out that you want to share with the audience, please do, because I will put all of the links in the show notes. I thank you so much again for having me on your podcast. Uh, it was a very interesting and I love the, the 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 interaction and the questions and playing the devil's advocate. So thank you for challenging me around that. Uh, in terms of where you can find me, you will get me mostly in my Instagram, anti-diet underscore dietitian. I do have a website that you can scroll through and navigate where I do actually have quite a few resources, uh, educational resources, some products that can be helpful for uh, coaches or clients in general around their nutrition and planning and meal planning, especially with the recent projects I finished that's called the choice method, mm -hmm. which basically allows you to design your own meal plan the, based on five, um, based on six food groups. And you can basically determine what are your total energy requirements your macros and kind of like the spreadsheet is leading you to do the next step. And then you get to a point where you can get exact number of portion sizes from each food group that are just equivalents that you can get them from a list of different exchanges and build your own meal plan in a, in a flexible way where you can just exchange one food by the other but just knowing how many portions of that food group you need a day. So it's very interesting. It would take a lot more detail to explain what it is. And I would recommend to anyone who's 
wanting to have a much better meal planning or don't want to track, that is going to be a very useful tool to use. And my next really great project I'm working on is uh, an alliance and a partnership that I started recently with Clean Health Fitness Institute. Mm. I'm going to be launching a guidebook on that trifecta that I kind of mentioned at the very beginning. So it's just finding that missing piece, which is the mindset and how everything relates to intuitive eating, nutrition, and thinking about perspective, all or nothing. Like this is a book that is going to be probably around 200 pages. Like it's very long. And it talks about a lot of different case studies, different scenarios, practical takeaways for coaches to use with their clients. And this is going to be very rich in lots of different practical advice for them to implement them with their clients. And if you want to be a successful coach, this is going to be like the, the, the final point for you if you're really good already on nutrition and training then the mindset aspect is going to be great. And then the last thing is that I am planning to finish out a train. A, a, I'm, I'm working on a book that is called The 100 Myths in Nutrition that I Want to Debunk. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the, the myth Bible, the bunking myth. I haven't put the name to it yet. But it's something hmm. around myth and debunking myth. Wow, you have a lot on your plate, pun intended. I know, I do. I look forward to the uh, Clean Health Fitness Institute um, partnership because I am in their group. I am involved with them. As like you, I study pretty much every day. And I am looking forward to that book. And um, I'll definitely, if you haven't, hated me too much today i want to have you on again to talk more in depth about mindset because you know that i know that you speak a lot on that as well but for today thank you so much for your time and dear listeners thank you to for tuning in as always and until next time lastly if you want to support the podcast and help me reach more people, please leave a five-star rating or review on any podcast platform that you're using. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.